Today is the day that the Lord has made. So let us rejoice and be glad in it. And all God's people said, amen and amen. As a culture, one of the things that we are seeing play out in real time is how quickly new norms can be adopted. When cultural pressure arises, we are seeing massive shifts in what is becoming normative in our culture and how quickly this is happening. The question I'd ask for you is, how long does it take you to adopt these new norms? At what point do you change your previously held beliefs and go with the flow? You know, there was an interesting experiment done that, that kind of showed this and showed human nature. It's called the elevator experiment. See, what happens is, is that you, you know this. Like, typically when we get into an elevator, we walk into an elev- elevator and then we turn around and we face the front door. Then we face the door, don't we? As we wait to our floor to come up. Well, what they did was they did this experiment where they had a bunch of actors go into an elevator with an unsuspecting person. And everyone who got into the elevator, they turned around and they faced the back. And they wanted to see who would also follow suit, break from norm, and turn around and face the back for no reason other than it's just what everyone else was doing. Now, this experiment has been done multiple times throughout the generations with, with oddly consistent results. But I think one of the, one of the best uh, documents of this, uh, documentations of this, came from the show Candid Camera a number of years back. And I, I want you to see it because it's phenomenal. So can we roll tape on that? The gentleman in the elevator now is a candid star. These folks who are entering, the man with a white shirt, the lady with a trench coat, and subsequently one other member of our staff will face the rear. And you'll see how this man in the trench coat <laughs> maintain his individuality, but little by little, he looks at his watch, but he's really making an excuse for turning just a little bit more to the wall. Now we'll try it once again. Here's the candid subject. Here comes the candid camera staff, three of them at least. And uh, this man has apparently been in groups before. (laughs) Now, here's a fella with his hat on in the elevator. First, he makes a full turn to the rear, and Charlie closes the door. A moment later, we'll open the door. Everybody's changed positions. (laughs) (laughs) Now we'll see if we can use... Now we'll see if we can use group pressure for some good. Now, in a moment, on Charlie's signal, everybody turns forward. Notice they take off their hats. And now, do you think we could reverse the procedure? Watch. 
you know, this is hilarious and absolutely terrifying. And I don't want to pick on the youth of the room, but I want you to notice that the youngest person in that experiment, how quickly they just did what everyone else was doing for no reason other than it's what everyone else was doing. Now these, these sort of like group pressure experiments, psychologists have been doing these for a long time. And one of the most notable ones is an experiment called the Solomon Ash Line Experiment. Ash, A-S-C-H the Solomon Ash line experiment. I encourage you to look it up when you get home. See, what happens is they have a group of actors come into this room with one unsuspecting person. And then they will show the group a picture like this. And they'll say it's like a visual perception experiment, but it's really a group pressure experiment. And what the the thing is, is, what they'll do is they'll have the people, they'll have the group, they'll say, okay, you've got the target line. Tell us which line is the same height as the target line. But they'll have, they'll have all, everyone else, all these actors, all say the same wrong answer. And they'll have one person who doesn't know what's going on give their answer. So they'll say, okay, which is the target line? Uh, which, which matches the target line? And of course the answer is C. But they'll have everyone else in the room say like A or B, something obviously wrong. And they'll, go, and they'll have everyone say the same answer, and they'll get to the unsuspecting person, and at first they will say the right answer. At first they'll say, well, C, why is everyone saying B? And then the more it goes on, the more that consistent wrong answers were given. Throughout time and history, as much as the study's been done, people consistently will choose what everyone else chooses, not what is the blatant, obvious truth right in front of them. It's a very famous experiment called the Solomon Ash Experiment. I encourage you to look it up when you get home. Watch some videos on it. It's actually very, very disturbing as we look at this line and say, well, C is clearly the answer, but everyone else is saying A. And eventually, someone, these people begin to go, well, A. When the blatant truth is right in front of them. You know, what happens when a group or a culture rejects the truth, when they reject what is obviously right, when they reject the truth that's before them, well, what happens is that people typically follow the crowd rather than what is obviously true. It's human nature and it's broken human nature. And the Bible warns us against doing this. The Apostle Paul wrote in his, in his second letter to the Thessalonians, he tells them, he says, the world will turn, but don't turn with it. The world's going to turn, but don't turn with it. And this turning he calls the rebellion. So if you haven't yet, would you please turn to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 as we look at the rebellion that's coming, the, the great turning away from truth and what's right. Paul says, and the Bible tells us that Not only is it foolish to turn from truth, it's dangerous because of what's to come. And that's been our sermon series that we've been looking through, looking at what's to come. As Paul, through 2 Thessalonians, he's letting us know that the culmination of all things is coming. 
Paul is telling us that a bookend to history is on the horizon and it's coming. No, we will not all die out as a species as we watch the universe fizzle out. No, a real bookend to history is coming. This all actually means something and is leading somewhere. And that leading to somewhere is the epic return of Jesus Christ. And oddly enough, the Thessalonians, they, they thought they had missed it. Or they thought they were, con- they were concerned that they were going to miss it. And Paul writes to them and he says, don't worry, don't worry, church, you can't miss this. And then he gives them a series of things that are going to happen before this comes so that we know that it's coming. And one of these things is the great rebellion against the things of God, against what is true and what is right. So would you hear the word of the Lord? 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, we're going to read verses 1 to 12. And please, please, church, always have your Bibles open when you can. If you didn't have it today, that's okay, but just please have your Bibles open. I want you to see what I'm seeing and read with me what I'm reading. So 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 1 to 12. Now concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered to him, we ask you, brothers, not to be quickly alarmed or shaken in mind, but by spirit. Um, do not be quickly shaken in mind or alarmed, either by a spirit or a spoken word or a letter seemingly to be from us to the effect that the day of the Lord has come. Let no one deceive you in any way, for that day will not come unless the rebellion comes first and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the son of destruction, who opposes and exalts himself against every so-called God or object of worship so that he takes his place in the seat of the temple, proclaiming himself to be God. Do you not remember when I was still with you that I told you these things? And you know what is restraining him now, so that he may be revealed in his time. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains it will do so until he is out of the way, and then the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord Jesus will kill with the breath of his mouth and bring to nothing by the appearance of his coming. The coming of the lawless one is by the activity of Satan, with all power and false signs and wonders, and with all wicked deception for those who are perishing, because they refuse to love the truth and so be saved. Therefore God sends them a strong delusion, so that they may believe what is false, in order that all may be condemned, who did not believe the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. This is the very sobering word of God. Let's pray, and we'll continue. Let's pray. Lord God in heaven, oh, how we need you. We need you to give us a discerning ear and a watchful eye and a patient spirit as we long for the return of Christ and the culmination of all things. Would you help us now by the power and presence of your Holy Spirit to know and understand and respond rightly to the beauty and to the truth we see in your word. God, we do love you and thank you, and we pray this in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen and amen. So as we look at this notion that the rebellion is coming, here's what I'd have you take away from today's message. When the rebellion comes, truth will not be tolerated. When the rebellion comes, truth will not be tolerated. And as we try to dissect our passage today, I want to pull out four things from from this first section of chapter 2. Here's the four things. First, the rebellion is coming, yet we can be discerning. The rebellion is powerful, and it will be dominating. 
The rebellion is demonic, but it will be destroyed. And the rebellion is, is attractive, although it will be deceptive. So first, first thing we're going to look at today. The rebellion is coming, yet we can be discerning. Go back to verse 1. Now concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus and our being gathered to him. Okay, first thing we need to see is that everything about this passage and really the entire letter of 2 Thessalonians is that Paul is trying to make us focus on where this is all headed, the great meaning of our lives, the great culmination of our lives, and that is Christ is coming back. What are we doing from now until then? The fact that Christ is returning, Paul says it gives us mission and meaning to our lives. Because when he comes, our passage says, we will be gathered to him. Paul here is referring to what is often called the rapture, even though you will not find that word in the Bible. The rapture is the notion that when, that when Christ comes back, we will be raptured. That comes from the Latin word to, being, to be caught up. Or as Paul says here, that, that Christ will be gathering his people. This is a supernatural event. Paul talks about it actually in 1 Thessalonians. We looked at it last year when we looked at 1 Thessalonians that this rapture will somehow supernaturally take place in the sky, that when our king returns, he's going to bring us to himself as he brings in the ushering of his kingdom. Now, there is a loads of theology around the rapture. I would need an entire sermon series just to scratch the surface on, on all the various thoughts and the passages in the Bible about the rapture. So let me just say this. If you prepare for the return of Christ, which is Paul's clear focus right here, if you prepare for the return of Christ, you'll be prepared for the rapture, whatever it actually looks like. Now, Paul talks about the return of Christ, and he says to us, verse 2, not to be quickly shaken in mind or alarmed. He says, for that day will not come unless the rebellion comes first and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the son of destruction. Paul says there's no way you can miss the rapture or the return, the, the fact that it happened at least. But there are things that are, because there are things that are going to happen first that you can't miss. And one of these things is the revelation or the rise of the man of lawlessness, also called the Antichrist. And he will come out of the great rebellion. So let's talk about this rebellion for a moment. We can know it's coming, but the rebellion will be powerful and it will be dominating. Verse 2, or verse, I'm sorry, verse 3, go to verse 3. Let no one deceive you in any way, for that day will not come unless the rebellion comes first, and the law of, and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the son of destruction. Okay, so the rebellion, the rebellion is against the things of God, meaning the rebellion is against what is true and what is right. Because those are the things of God, what is true and what is right. The rebellion will be against that. It will be a popular movement because the heart of humankind, the will of mankind is already against the things of God. And so when this rebellion comes, it'll tickle that part of our ear that you know, when we hear the word rebellion, we, we think that kind of sounds heroic. That's a cool thing. Like rebels are cool. So this rebellion will be attractive it will be a cultural machine that's popular among the masses of the world. And this rebellion will give way to the rise of the man of lawlessness, also called the Antichrist. He's called the lawlessness. He's called lawless because he's against God's laws. And this exposes right here and right now that we get it backwards. 
You and I, we get this backwards, right? We love rebellion and we hate laws. Again, that's because of the broken human heart. But God's laws are what's true and beautiful and right. And rebellion is choosing the opposite of that. It's choosing what's evil. And this man who's going to lead us into this, look at verse 4. Who opposes and exalts himself against every so-called God and object of worship, object of worship so that he takes his seat in the temple of God, proclaiming himself to be God. So, so follow this. He opposes and places himself over and above every so-called God and object of worship. What this means is that he will not try to bring people into an existing religion. He won't try to make us all Hindus or Muslims. But he will be against every religion and every belief. Check this out. And yet he will take his seat in the temple of God, proclaiming himself to be God. Now Paul, it seems pretty clear here that Paul is talking about the temple in Jerusalem. But remember, this letter that we're reading was written about 50 A.D. But just 20 years after this letter was written in 70 A.D., Rome invaded Jerusalem and destroyed the temple. So how can this prophecy be fulfilled if Rome has already destroyed the temple of God? Well, it can be fulfilled if Israel rebuilds the temple, which I believe could happen in our lifetime. The rebuilding of the temple would be an incredible, worldwide, historic event, celebrated by Jews and probably Christians alike. But let me tell you right now, for me, where I stand on it, like if the construction started on what would be the third temple, for me, I'm not thinking the end is close. I'm thinking the end is at hand. I already think the end is close. But upon structure, and I know there's mumblings about that happening right now on the world stage, about the rebuilding of the temple, if that begins to happen, for me, the end is at hand. Now, I want you to imagine for a moment. I want you just to imagine a, a person. I want you to imagine a, a popular person who has a worldwide audience like only modern social media could bring. A person who rises to the world stage. Now imagine this person is leading humanity in a rejection of all the old religions and a rebellion against the things of God. I, I know you can imagine this person. Imagine someone who will entice the world by saying that he will bring us into an enlightened, progressive state, released from the dogma of all the old religions, into a new and better spirituality. I think the world would be swayed by person, a person like that. And at the same time, this person himself claims to be God. And I think this declaration of being God will also come with a new moral standard of what is right and wrong. Now, this movement, I believe, would be so popular and so dominant that he wouldn't have to take the temple by force. I think we would just hand it to him. Do you think this is possible? I think it's entirely possible. Does this sound far-fetched? Not at all. In fact, I would say in the history of the world, it's probably no, no more probable than the time that we live in. Think about it for a moment. At no point in history would the eyes, the entire eyes of the world be on Israel right now than if they rebuilt the temple. 
At no point in history is a regular person able to gain a worldwide audience than right now due to the World Wide Web and social media. At no point in history are people so against the things of God, but also so open to spirituality. Did you know that atheism is not growing in this world, but religion and spirituality are? The time is right, and I think the pieces are coming together. I think this rebellion will not be, the Bible says it won't be just powerful. It will be demonic, but it will be destroyed. Paul continues, verse 5. As a pastor, I really want you to listen to verse 5. Do you not remember that when I was still with you, I told you these things? I just got to say it real quick. Paul is saying to this church, come on, guys. We just talked about this. I just preached on this last month. As a pastor, I really resonate with that. (laughs) This is just another example of how easily we forget. When this all happens, listen, when this all happens, the rebellion and the rise of the Antichrist, there will be millions of so-called Christians worldwide expecting this to happen, but I believe very few will realize when it happens. Why? Because Christians don't know their Bible and Christians are so lazy about coming to church to learn about the Bible. Obviously not you guys, you're all here, but you know what I'm talking about. How could this happen with so many Christians across the world? It's because Christians don't know their Bible. They're not pursuing Jesus. They're not on fire for him. They're not coming at the church. They're just saying they're Christian and posting it on their profile. Of course the world's going to be led astray by this. When Christians should be the one raising the alarm, we'll be one of the first ones caught off guard. Look what Paul says, verse 6 and 7. He says, And you know what is restraining him now so that he may be revealed in his time. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains it will do so until he is out of the way. As your pastor, with a couple Bible degrees, I'll be the first to tell you, I don't know what Paul's talking about. Most theologians don't know what Paul's talking about. We weren't there when Paul was actually present with the Thessalonians preaching on this. We don't know what he's exactly referring to. Who is... Restraining the man, what, what the mystery of lawlessness, right? But, but here's what I'd say. Rather than speculate on who or what is doing the restraining, we don't know. Is it God? Is it the Holy Spirit? Is it an angel? Is it Rome? We don't know. And I don't have time to flesh out all the different theories and, and why some are better than others. I want to just focus on the fact right now of the restraint of the man of lawlessness and the mystery of lawlessness. Paul writes that the man or the mystery of, the lawless, of lawlessness is being restrained, quote, so that he may be revealed in his time. That's what I want to focus on for a moment. Meaning, there is a time and a place for this to happen. Paul told the Thessalonians, it was not then, it was to come. Church, is it our time? Or in our children's time, or our grandchildren's time? I've said this a lot, and I'm not shy about it. I'm not a prophet, but I do think a lot of the boxes are being checked right now. We don't know the time. Jesus himself, we can't know the time, but we do know how to prepare and what to look for. And I think a lot of the boxes are being checked right now. And when the time of restraint, whatever that is, when the time of restraint is over, look at verse 8. Then the lawless one will be revealed. But then check this out. 
whom the Lord Jesus will kill with the breath of his mouth and bring to nothing by the appearance of his coming. So listen to me. While the Antichrist will be a powerful, influential, popular, and dominant figure, he is nothing to Jesus. There is no fight between Christ and the Antichrist. The Bible just told us all Jesus has to do is yawn and the fight is over. That's how powerful our Savior is. But make no mistake about it, the Antichrist, this will be demonic. And people worldwide will be attracted to him because he will do wondrous things. Look at verse 9. The coming of the lawless one is by the activity of Satan with all powers and false signs and wonders. We will see spiritual wonders and signs like we've never seen before. And the world will be fascinated and convinced by it. And here's why we're especially at prey. In the Western world that we live in, we reject that stuff. We don't believe it. When we're confronted with it, we'll find a ways to scientifically explain it. We don't want to believe in it. We, tr- we try not to. We turn away. We say it doesn't, it's not real, that it's old, the, um, that it's archaic to believe in that stuff. Even though it's happening all around us, we try to turn a blind eye to it. But a time will come when someone will do things that are undeniable. And even the Western, progressive, enlightened mind will have to believe it's happening. And they will be captivated and fascinated by it. And they will follow him. And this idea that the devil does demonic signs and wonders, it's already happening. It's happening all around us. The other day I was at McDonald's and I was in the, in the drive through line, and the car in front of me had two bumper stickers. The one bumper sticker said, protected by witchcraft. The other bumper sticker said, tarot card reading, call this number. And I thought to myself, I've got to talk to these people. <laughs> but they're in the car in front of me, right? And I'm not going to chase them down, but the Lord did something awesome. We both had to wait for our food. So we both had to go and park, and I parked right next to them. So like a creeper, I knocked on my window, and I did one of these things. <laughs> even though no one knows what this means anymore. <laughs> and they're like, what? I'm like, we'll talk to you. So we wrote on the windows and I was like, I was like, hey, I, I don't, like, if you don't want to talk to me, you do not have to. I don't want to force anything. But I just got, I got some, I'm, I got some questions for you. And they're like, okay. And I said, when you do tarot card reading, does anything supernatural happen? And this person, the driver, without skipping a beat, Plain as day, like we're talking about the weather, said, uh, you know, not during the tarot card reading, but that usually happens afterwards. And I was like, wow. And then before I could even have a follow-up question, this person goes, oh, yeah, uh, my family members were all mediums. Spirits come into us, speak through us all the time. I've grown up with this. I see spirits. I can talk to them. And listen to me. This person, I want you to know something. This person did not care if I thought they were crazy. I wish Christians had guts like that. Just talking about the spiritual like it's just an everyday occurrence. And I'm sure it probably is for her. That car was crawling with demons. You know, they brought our food and it was clear they wanted the conversation to be done. So I I just let it go. But listen to me, that wasn't in New York City. That wasn't in the slums of Thailand. That wasn't in LA. That was right here in Gun Lake. Because it is all 
around us. Demonic signs and wonders are all around us, but our Western worldview tries to ignore it. But it's happening. And when the Antichrist comes, he will take it to the next level, which leads to the last point. The rebellion is attractive, although it will be deceptive. Verse 10, with all wicked deception for those who are perishing, because they refuse to love the truth and to be saved, God therefore sends them a strong delusion. With these last few verses, I want you to see something pretty incredible. God will give people what they want. If they want to believe lies, if they want to hate the truth, if they want to embrace what's popular over what's godly, if they want to reject salvation in Jesus' name, if they want to give themselves over to deception, well, then God will send them a delusion. He will give them what they want. And they will soon know that their, the Bible says, their pleasure in righteousness, that means enjoying what's wrong, that will come to condemnation. What's happening across the world is that we're all getting into an elevator. And the world's all starting to turn towards the back. And even Christians are starting to turn around because it's what everyone else is doing. It's because the rebellion is emerging. And when the rebellion comes, truth will not be tolerated. The world, hear me, church, the world right now is in a collective ash experiment. We're all looking at a series of lines with the blatant truth right before us, right before us, but so many of us are caving to their peer pressure that wants to ignore the truth. And the Antichrist is coming, if not already here. I don't know who it is. I'm not claiming it to be anyone that I am aware of. But the Bible says his spirit is already here. The man has yet to arise. And many, many will fall for him. Many self-proclaimed Christians will too. And I want you to know something. When the Antichrist comes, he won't look like this. Okay, like, don't look for the obvious bad guy, okay? Like, this person will be a popular persona. He'll be, a, he'll be attractive and an influencer. And he'll amass a following. He won't be the obvious bad guy. And he'll claim that it's time to throw off the old religions. He'll claim that those old religions are holding us from progressing as a society. And he'll be an influencer who inspires people, but he inspires them with lies and deceptions. Even when the blatant truth is right in front of us, he'll lead us into a rebellion against what is true and right. Leading us all into a worldwide Solomon Ash experiment. Making us think we're crazy when we can clearly see the truth. And yet, Jesus Christ is constantly calling to all of us. And at his return, he will gather his people. But so many of us would have given ourselves to the Antichrist. You see, the Antichrist is going to glorify himself through signs when Jesus glorified himself through his sacrifice for our sins. The Antichrist will place himself in the temple when Jesus gave himself to the cross. The Antichrist will give us deception and lead us away when Jesus gives us truth and leads us into what's right and righteous. People, trust in Jesus. The time is coming. The day is growing short. Trust in Jesus, not because it's popular or easy. It most certainly is not. But because only in truth, only in Christ is there truth and righteousness and true beauty. Only in Christ are we prepared for what's to come?
Amen. Would you please stand, bow your heads with me, and let's prepare for worship. Bow your heads. Would you please pray with me? Father in heaven, Lord, with so much evil in the world, Lord, we know that we have a good king who reigns over all. Lord, and as we prepare for the rebellion and for the Antichrist, would you please, by the power of your spirit, would you give us the ears and eyes and mind to know the truth? Lord, we're going to sing about our truth right now, the truth that you've given to us, that we sing what is true about you and what you've done for us. So help us to love the truth, to love salvation in Jesus' name. Let us be people of love and truth, just as you have loved us by your truth. Help us to love others. We pray this in Jesus' precious, perfect, and powerful name. It's in the name of the King of kings that we pray these things. And everyone said, amen and amen. Church, let's sing unto him now.